Talking about statistics with my journalism colleagues is the basis of what brings this show together. But speaking about and communicating statistical work with journalists and understanding our interdisciplinary relationship in this era of fake news and misinformation is more important than ever. That's why we're delighted to have Kevin McConway as a guest on this episode of Stats and Short Stories. McConway is Emeritus Professor of Applied Statistics at the Open University in the UK, where he taught statistics mainly to adult learners in a wide range of disciplines. He developed a strong interest and involvement in statistics in the media and was an advisor for 11 years and an occasional contributor to the BBC radio program, More or Less. He's worked with and helped train journalists in understanding and communicating statistics, often through the UK's Science Media Center, where he's a member of the advisory committee. I'm John Baylor, and I'm joined by Rosemary Pennington and Richard Campbell, my journalism colleagues here at Miami University, for this Stats and Short Stories conversation with Kevin McConway. Kevin, you've been involved with some fascinating work over your career. And, I, you know, so now I got to know, how did you get involved in, in this kind of structure, a science media center, and what led you to connect with the media and journalism? Well, um, you know, there's a way in which I've kind of always been interested in statistics in the media. And early on in my career, I did write a couple of brief things for sort of journalistic articles. But it really, and, I, and I've often used journalism examples in my teaching to statisticians. But it, I guess it really got going, I think it was 2005. This was before the Science Media Center. Uh, what happened is that the Open University, where, where I worked, has a an long-term relationship with the BBC um, because the BBC used to carry broadcasts of our teaching in the early days of the university. Um, you know, so there's been relationship going on for years. It's changed now. They don't carry our teaching now, but we do still make programs. We do still co-produce some programs with them on the radio and on the television. And a lot of these things are kind of quite big budget nature programs and, or programs about engineering. Um, and what happened was it was decided by a process that um, we should be doing more in radio to do with mathematics and statistics. Uh, maybe on TV as well, but it went into radio. And um, actually, I may have been the first one to suggest this. I said, well, this is great program, more or less about numbers, just started up on Radio 4. Um, and, you know, maybe we should do something like that. And the decision was not that we should do something like that, but we should co-produce that program. We should provide oh. some money and input into that program. And that meant that there had to be an involvement at the Open University end. There had to be what in the jargon was called an academic advisor and I had to do that because well I was asked to do that and you know I thought this is a great job actually uh, so I started working with them it was quite complicated at the beginning because the university liked to um, monitor the scripts and check the scripts but it's oh. not it's not really scripted like that there wasn't time it's a current affairs program but anyway kind of worked through that and I worked with them in helping to check out ideas they had for programs telling them where they might be able to find numbers making suggestions for programs myself and then if it was something I knew a lot about or in some cases if it was something that nobody seemed to know anything about I would be the person discussing it on air with the presenters uh, so I kind of did that and uh, in the end uh, I ended up doing that for 11 years and I still work with them occasionally now uh, I only stopped because I retired from my full-time post so other people do it now but because of that my interests had kind of grown I started 
talking more to people who've been doing this kind of work in other ways. Uh, one of them was David Spiegelhalter, who I've known for, you know, we, we overlapped in terms of doing our PhDs together a very long time ago. So I knew he was working on this. He'd moved to be the professor of the public understanding of risk. So I went and worked with him for a bit. I worked in, I went to Berlin and worked with Gerd Gigerenzer, a psychologist who's worked on this stuff uh, quite heavily. And it's really got interesting ideas. And David was already working with uh, the Science Media Centre and he said, well, you could work with the Science Media Centre as well. They always want people to write comments on, on pieces of research involving statistics that are coming out. Uh, why don't you do that? So I started doing that. I think it was 2011. And um, what the Science Media Centre is, it's a kind of strange thing. It was set up in 2002, if I remember rightly, in the UK, partly because there was a lot of what was seen as bad reporting of science going on at the time. Things to do with MMR and autism was just one of the examples that was ha happening around that time. And um, the decision was to set up something which eventually turned into what, what's a sort of independent press agency for science as a whole. And it tries to collaborate with the media it, to get scientific ideas, to get scientists, uh, including statisticians, David and me, quite a few others, um, to talk to the media in ways that will help the media. It helps train scientists in, in collaborating with the media, it does some media training itself and things like that. And I think it's had quite a lot of influence in improving the uh, reporting of science in the in in the main media in the UK. I'm talking here about the main daily newspapers, the main broadcasters. Not so much impact in other areas, but th that's what it's done. And over the years, I've kind of got more and more involved with that. I'm on their advisory committee and um, and so on. So I do a lot of work with them. It's how it used to work in the past was really quite nice because what would happen would be somebody would do a bit of research, somebody would decide to press release this research, it'd be under embargo and therefore you might have two two or three days to uh, read the paper, figure out what they were going on, write something saying this is a complete rubbish mm -hmm. or this is really good work, whatever it was, uh, and you know put in some nice personal quotes, everything, send it off and uh, you know that would have an effect. Of course since there are more and more preprints these days, this gap where there's an embargo doesn't happen. So mm -hmm. you find that you have to churn the stuff out at an enormous rate. I mean, some of these comments are right. They're not just like two or three sentences. You know, they can be 2,000 words or more. And, uh, you know, usually there may be 1,000 words and you have to churn out 1,000 words in an hour and uh, ish. Otherwise, the uh, journalists have written their story because of the fast turnover of news and it's quite hair-raising stuff at times and you do get things wrong, but hopefully not very often. I wonder, how do you think social media has impacted the space of communicating stats and science? Because I think you, you are sort of talking about journalistic deadlines and how with the Science Media Center, that can sort of put you in a tough bind. And I wonder if social media and the ability for things to sort of circulate very quickly there has also sort of complicated this um, work of communicating statistics to journalists clearly, but also to a broader audience more clearly. I, I think it has. I mean, I, yeah, I really don't know how many regular people out there read all the tweets I got about, about statistical topics, but I know it's not just one or two. Um, you know, they really are quite, he quite heavily read and, uh, you know, similar things on Facebook and things in closed Facebook groups where you don't even know what's going on. You know, th th this, this, this all goes on. And um, I think that means 
I mean, what I've observed for journalists is that they need to take this into account. They need, you know, if they're writing about something, they need to say, look, you might have seen this on Twitter. Um, there's another point of view on this um, from such and such a person. And all they can tell you about where, the, where it is is to point to a tweet that this person made. And just putting all this together is just really complicated. I mean, I mean, that's one reason why I think long-form journalism that manages to write decent long stories that put all this stuff together is great. But, you know, that doesn't always have a huge audience. And, mm. you know, most people are seeing the three-minute report on the TV news or reading a tweet completely out of context and, 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 and getting it wrong. And, I mean, I, I can't wish this hasn't hadn't happened. I mean, it has happened. That's that, that's the world we're in. And it's great that the stuff gets communicated so quickly, but it makes life harder than it was. So I, I have a sort of as a last question to, to wrap this up. So, you know, I, I work with these journalist types, you know, and, and you know, we've, we've come to some uh, we, we've come to some cultural agreements here. We've we found common ground. Uh, actually, I don't know I, what you're talking about. John. <laughs> actually, typical been, journalist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, she, she could have said, he, you don't know what you're talking about, John. That maybe is. A <laughs> but this has been a great, I, you know, I've learned a tremendous amount from my colleagues and I've, I think a lot about. Kind of what what they what they value and how they they frame stories and it's really helped me think about this. I, I guess I'd like to close our short story here, with you you kind of giving us your own perspective on some of the the difference sort of the the compare and contrast paper that you would write about st statisticians and journalists. What are we what are some of the things that you see as very strong connections and similarities and what are some of the differences? Right. Well, I mean, probably the main similarity is that in our very different ways, actually, what we want to do is to get at the truth, or rather, that's what most of us want to do. And, and uh, you know, there are times when if I talk to colleague statisticians, they're just going about, oh, journalists are just a whole bunch of liars. Uh, they just want to get their own point of view across. They never, they don't know what evidence is if it got a bit them in the leg. Um and, and that, that is that I mean that, that, that in my okay. experience certainly for health and science journalists at least you know the ones I've worked with most that's simply not true they get embarrassed if they, if, if, if they found out getting something wrong they really do want to get things right but there are important differences as well I mean one difference I think this is less marked than it was and that's great obviously statisticians are where numerate uh, journalists are on the whole not so numerate and I think there are some problems in general journalism training about journalists not just not learning enough about how the most basic numbers get put together. I mean, some of the things that even quite eminent journalists have sort of demonstrate their ignorance to me about numbers are, are, are quite, quite hair raising. You know, they, they don't understand percentages, but let's not let's not go into that. Uh, they can be told they want to learn. Um, but journalists are better at telling stories. I mean, statisticians ought to be good at telling stories because that's what we do when we're collaborating, uh, you know, with scientists in other areas. You know, this is the story I see coming out of the data and this fits into what you're trying to say. But actually, what most of us aren't that good at it. And journalists are. Journalists can get stuff into a small space. Um, and we ought to take account for that. I mean, th there's also, there is the question of deadlines. Um, you know, I mean, we have deadlines in statistics. You know, for heaven's sake, I've got to finish this data analysis by two months from now or I have to do this peer review and uh, look they've only given me a month uh, or, or, or or these days shorter and shorter maybe only a fortnight but you know they get done um, but journalists it's no if I don't get this thing out, out in an hour or, or by tomorrow morning or something it's not going to appear 
And mm. we have to learn to cope with that because there's nothing we can do about it. It's just a kind of given of the work. But I mean, I think the main thing is we just have to listen to each other. We have to we have to understand more about the conditions under which we we both work because they are different. But as I say, I think we have the same aim of wanting to get evidence-based information across to other people. That's that's why I do it. That's brilliant. I, I would also add, John, I would add to that one thing that I've learned from working with John over the years. There aren't very many professions that I would call generalist professions. You have to know a lot about a lot of different things. And I think that's one thing that I've found is similar between statisticians who work on a lot of different projects that are very, very different, and journalists who are often asked to to do stories about things they know nothing about, and they have to research and do them. I think in an era where we're so dominated by specialists, it's important to have these professions that uh, talk to each other and, and are interested in kind of working across boundaries. I absolutely could not agree more. I mean, I mean, this fits in with this famous thing that John Tukey said, or was alleged oh, to have said, the great thing about mind. being a... <laughs> Great thing about being a statistician, you get to play in everybody's backyard. And, you know, that is why I'm a statistician. Uh, I can remember I once did, because, because at the Open University, uh, if you're on, on the faculty, you can study courses free and I once took a, a philosophy course and the philosophy tutor started by saying oh it's great the great thing about being a philosopher is you can be in any part of the library and you're working and I thought well yeah and if you're a statistician you can be in any part of I mean this is a few years ago when people still had libraries you can be in any part of the library you can be in anybody's lab you can be in anybody's field site uh, you know wherever you be in space for heaven's sake and you could still be working and it, you never get bored I mean that's what's great about it and I've, t I've talked to journalists and they say the good thing about journalism is yeah you get to specialize in something perhaps but actually it's changing all the time you don't get bored and that's one thing that we've applied statisticians to journalists very much do have in common and I think that's why once we get to know each other we get on it well that's a beautiful place to bring us to a close well you know that's all the time we have for this episode of stats and short stories Kevin thank you so much for being here you're welcome thank you it's it's been great stats and stories is a partnership between Miami University's departments of statistics and media journalism and film and the American Statistical Association you can follow us on Twitter Apple podcast or other places Places where you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on our program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.